Welcome to Thriving Educators. I am Brian Langley. Today's episode considers Scaffolding Students' Task Engagement, the title of Chapter 8 of Jerry Brophy's little booklet, Teaching. To help me with this topic, I have 4th grade teacher Michelle Domberger, 1st grade teacher Olivia Oquist, and middle school math interventionist Carolyn Kidder. The podcast will begin with my conversation with Michelle and Olivia, then wrap up with my conversation with Carolyn. Enjoy. Michelle Domberger, Olivia Oquist, welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to be here. Thank you for having us. Okay, so Michelle, as you look over this chapter, which is chapter eight from Jerry Brophy's Little Booklet Teaching, it's on scaffolding students' task engagement. I'm curious if there is anything in particular that stood out to you. Honestly, the very first sentence stood out to me. Um, I love how it says that activities and assignments should be sufficiently varied and interesting to motivate student engagement. That is like the mantra of my life. Okay. Um, I cover your ears, Dave Asher. I I don't keep a plan book. Okay. I, I I just, I like to have new things and I don't like to remember what I did last year. So keeping things fresh um, works for me. I like to um, take surprise field trips. Like boys and girls, grab your things. We're heading out to the woods. We have this beautiful woods right behind us. You're spontaneous. I I want to be in your class. Right? Um, it's just so fun. We, um, the other, the other day, it was probably like two months ago, but I told the kids, all right, tomorrow, bring your boots. We're doing writing outside in the woods. And we tromped through the snow and we did a little hike and they had the most beautiful descriptive writing because they could look around them and see, you know, oh yeah, the trees do sway. Okay. How could I write that down? And you know, they're looking at it while they're doing it. Yeah. It was authentic. Um, Last year, we had done like Poetry Coffee House every year for a number of years. Invite parents in. We changed our room into a coffee house. We pushed tables together. We got flowers in the middle. We served coffee and donuts. It was a whole big thing. And kids would um, read poetry that they had written. So an authentic audience for their poetry. And um, last year, goodness, it was probably about four weeks before our coffee house. And I was like, oh. We have a new amphitheater at First Park. Mm-hmm. Let's let's bring it on the road. And so we did. We um, we actually got the NATC's mobile food cart, and they met us there. Nice. And we had like a food truck with donuts and coffee, and um, it was outside, so it was like all COVID friendly. It was kind of one of the first events that we could do again after this. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much that I scrap everything and everything's new. Mm-hmm. It's just it morphs and changes. So to go back to the sentence from Jerry Brophy's book, it's yeah. sufficiently varied and interesting to motivate student engagement. Absolutely. All Absolutely. right. Thanks. Olivia, how about you? Did something stand out from this short little two-page chapter? Yeah. So what um, stood out to me, well, first I have to say, Michelle, I love learning from you and Stop hearing it. from Michelle. I learned a lot from her when I was on the fourth grade mm-hmm. team. Um, I teach first grade now, um, but I feel really honored to be (laughs) we did have fun together fourth grade is fun yes it is is amazing yes so thank you so much for all that you said that was very helpful even for me um (laughs) and so something that stood out to me in the chapter was when it says that students 
should be able to eventually regulate their own productive task engagement. Mm -hmm. It's at the bottom of the first paragraph. And at least coming from a first grade perspective, and I think this is probably true throughout the grade levels, um, that takes a lot of explicit teaching. Right. And You can't jump right there. Right. At at all. Right. Yes. So there's the, the academic side of scaffolding and then there's the social emotional side Mm -hmm. that needs to be scaffolded as well and very clear expectations of what that looks like and i think even still they're learning that when they get to high school they are yes (laughs) yes so that stood out to me because i was happy not happy i guess but um to see something about that aspect of teaching because that is such a big part of it is the emotional regulation and Mm -hmm. teaching them how to be students. Right. And um, some level of like metacognition too about who they are as learners and what have they learned so far? What do they want to accomplish? That that kind of thing I feel like weaves in there too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's talk about your classrooms. So uh, Michelle, how would this look scaffolding in your classroom? Um, Like Olivia said, so much of it at the beginning stages is very explicit. It's direct lessons. It's Mm -hmm. directly taught. And then it kind of morphs out from there. Okay. Um, You're seeing what the kids are grasping and what they're still struggling with. And then you can kind of fine tune it along the way. And Olivia, you're now teaching the first grade classroom. So what does it look like? Hardest job in the world, by the (laughs) way. First grade teachers, big shout out. So something in first grade that I've really tried to do um, and Working, working in a district that has such a high population of EL learners mm-hmm. um, is a lot of visuals and a lot of saying it twice or three times, mm-hmm. having them repeat after me so that all students, but especially my EL students, understand what's being asked of them. And so the visual representation can really help with that. Um, so I try to, and then I model it myself a lot of times. And then, um, like Michelle was saying, really try to get them interested and engaged in what we're learning um, and the purpose behind it so that, okay, this is why we're doing this. And then they'll get into, they'll buy into it from me and then be able to do it on their own more independently because they're, they have ownership of it a little bit more. So um, getting them into whatever it is, getting them excited um, and then letting them go. But then I try to notice who is struggling mm-hmm. and I pull them in small groups after the lesson during the practice because um, I don't want them to struggle on their own. Right. Um, so. Yeah. Brophy talks about that in the chapter. Like if there's too much struggle, that's bad. Right. If there's not enough struggle, that's also not, not, not good either or ideal. You want to find that sweet spot. And of course, then you also have a whole group of students who all have different sweet spots. Absolutely. So it's way easier <laughs> said than done, but it is the challenge of teaching. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Michelle, you've been teaching for a while. I've been teaching for 23 years, so mm-hmm. uh, we have similar experience. Um, I'm curious, as you think about your career, how has, how has your thinking on scaffolding changed or evolved or grown? 
You know, at the beginning, I think it's just all about survival. Okay. You just, you're getting through. Especially early on, yeah. Yes, you're learning the curriculum and you're learning about the kids and that age and you're learning all of that. And I think as you go on, um, you can bring a certain depth to it Mm -hmm. that you didn't have before. Um, you know where to push for deeper understanding and, mm-hmm. and you know what areas you can kind of gloss over and, and you know, push them into something later on. So um, I think over the course of time, um, it has also helped me to have an authentic audience for the kids too. That okay. makes it a little more real for them mm-hmm. and it makes them want to put forth a big effort. Mm-hmm. Um, whether we're presenting something to our first grade partners or to parents or um, making movies to you know show elsewhere, um, that authentic audience really makes the kids feel the purpose okay. behind it. Yeah, so I appreciate that you keep coming back to this because when I look at the title of chapter eight and as I think about it, I really have been focused on scaffolding. But it, it it's it's the second part of it is for task engagement. And so you've been focused a lot in this conversation on how do we keep kids engaged. Right. And so the one thing you talked about early on is keeping it fresh. Now you've come back to this idea of having an authentic audience for them or, or even a varied audience for right. them, even an audience at all for them. Right. Right. So I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Olivia, what about you? So your, your career has been a little shorter, um, but you've been so honest about, you know, about being growing. And, and uh, so how have you thought about this in terms of your career so far? Yeah, it's really interesting because I, I'm not a saying COVID baby is weird, but mm-hmm. in the teaching world, right. that is me. That Interesting point. COVID was my first year. Mm-hmm. And so we shut down in March and then my first, three years were different. They Mm -hmm. couldn't be near each other. I couldn't do small groups because Mm -hmm. they couldn't be that close. Um, The audiences could not bring those in or share classes or share kids. Um, So I feel like I'm just this year, now that we are, have a little bit more freedom um, and safety to do those things, I'm really starting to come out of um, that shell, that COVID right. shell mm-hmm. more um, and looking to what other teachers are doing um, both in my school and in the district um, to see their ideas. Um, and I, I'm learning more about small group instruction um, because again, that was something I couldn't do mm-hmm. for a while um, and really focusing on the kids that I'm pulling separately and like you're saying, balancing between giving them too much help versus mm-hmm. not enough and when to slowly release that. Um, one example is I, since it's first grade and I do have a lot of EL students, um, I'll use highlighter to write what they're saying and okay. then they trace it. Um, and then eventually, like, I take that away and I try to have them write at least two sentences and then I can help. Okay. Um, but doing just little things like that um, along the way, um, I've gotten better at when to release them and when I'm helping too much. Um, so that's something that, um, again, I'm still learning about, but um, definitely see the importance of that gradual release that I do, we do, mm-hmm. you do. That's pretty much in every lesson. Um, so, yeah, that's something that I'm still working on. Yeah, and you know what? The one thing that I've found is 
no matter how many years you've been teaching, everybody is working on something. And we so, better be right. That's right. Otherwise, it's, and so yeah. Olivia, just get used to it. Okay, great. <laughs> I'll it be doesn't stop. Comfortable that's right. You'll have lots of tricks, and you'll you'll get more tricks or mm-hmm. or um, tools. Maybe you want to call it tools. Um, and that's that's great. But the te- teaching is always a challenge, and you just keep working on things. Mm-hmm. All right. So true. Uh, Michelle Donberger and Olivia Oquist, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was great to be here. You made it easy. Thank you for having us. I appreciate it. Carolyn Kidder, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So today's uh, episode is on chapter eight of Jerry Brophy's little booklet, Teaching. And this chapter is called Scaffolding Students Task Engagement. And the little blurb under the title says, the teacher provides whatever assistance students need to enable them to engage in learning activities productively. And so, Carolyn, I'm curious, as you look through this two-page chapter, what were some things that stood out to you? Well, first of all, I smiled when I first read this. Mm -hmm. I think it's only two pages. Right. (laughs) But um, the one... sentence that really stood out to me is, if teacher assistance is too direct or extensive, teachers will end up carrying out tasks for students instead of helping them learn to carry out the tasks themselves. Okay. Now, if you read that in context of the rest of the chapter, this points to a very fine line that teachers have to try and walk. And that is between too much assistance and not enough. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So, you know, this is my 25th year teaching. Um, I taught 20 years in my own classroom, and then the last five has been as a math specialist in um, the middle school. Okay. And what I found was that as I got to understand the way kids were thinking, I realized that my scaffolding at the beginning of my career many times miss the mark. Okay. So for instance, I thought I knew what they needed instead of working on questioning Mm -hmm. so that I could find out what they actually needed. Okay. So talk to me some more about those questions. Like what does, what, what does that mean? What do you mean? So many times I'll ask something as simple as, what was the last thing we talked about that you felt comfortable with? That's a good question. Because Many students will say, I just don't get any of this. Mm -hmm. And if I ask that question, they can pinpoint more specifically where they started to kind of go wrong. Okay. And that gives me an idea of where I need to kind of backtrack Mm -hmm. to set up that bridge to what we're currently talking about. Okay. The other thing I realized was many times when I set up that bridge or that scaffold, I would forget to go back and try to fill it in okay, so that they didn't need that as much, basically shrinking that bridge. Okay. And that was something that I learned, I would say, only in the last maybe seven years Okay, that I missed out on at the beginning of my career. Okay, great. Yeah. So as we talk about in this chapter, or as Jerry Brophy talks about in this chapter, like if something is too easy for the students, they lose engagement. If something is too difficult for the students, they lose engagement. If the teacher gives too much assistance, <laughs> it's not good. Right. If teacher doesn't get enough assistance, that's also not good. And so you you have to be very aware and 
deliberate about being just right, like that Goldilocks area. It's true. It's yeah. very true. Um, and students will take the too much scaffolding mm -hmm. every time mm -hmm. <laughs> because okay. they don't inherently like to feel frustrated. Mm -hmm. And I explained to students, I actually had a seventh grader this year, said, Ms. Kidder, you keep saying that we should get a little frustrated, but isn't frustration bad? And I said, no, it's not. Frustration isn't bad. Mm -hmm. It's what you do when you're frustrated. How you react to it's it. It's your reaction to it. Mm -hmm. And she said, oh. And I said, if you give up, that's what we're trying to work on, making you realize you can still do it. Right. So, um, yeah, there is a fine line. I remember at the beginning when I realized that I needed to do more with questioning students and trying to be more specific, I would walk around with a clipboard with questions that I liked. And mm -hmm. of course, by the end of the day, I had far better questions right. than when I started out my day. And I also used a timer. Okay. And the reason I used the timer is because I could get kind of sucked into these conversations with students without realizing that the rest of the students didn't need to grapple with that with that topic as long as maybe the student did. So the timer kept the students on task, but it also kept me honest to my timing. Right. I'm a big timer person too. <laughs> yes. And I this is something that if I look over the course of my career, I didn't start off as a timer person. Nope. But it's important. It's so important. And you say, I mean, I use a timer if, if I can predict how long I'll say, okay, 60 seconds, you guys can do this. And then, okay, 45 seconds, talk to your teammate or somebody next to you about this. Or you have, if, if I'm wrapping up the activity, very important to say like, okay, 15 seconds, wrap up what you're talking about and then come back and engage. Like there's so many ways that timing keeps that engagement for students. Absolutely. Yeah. And also it became almost automatic for my students because I would, I would basically look around and I'd say, okay, guys, let's read the question yourself. And then I want you to tell me what you think you need for time mm -hmm. to work on it. Okay. And then show me with your hands. And if I if they showed me with their hands, they knew it had to be less than 10 minutes. Really what I was thinking is it was going to be probably about five minutes. Uh -huh. And then they knew within probably a month that if they needed more time, all they had to do as soon as that timer went off is to put their hand up and tell me if they needed two minutes, Okay. no minutes, five mm -hmm. more minutes. So it really started to give them an understanding that this is focus time, mm -hmm. but they're in charge of it. Nice. I'm just helping to kind of put the boundaries around it so we don't get lost in mm -hmm. it. Okay. So I want to go back to questions. Yes. And this is something I, I imagine that I've talked about on the podcast before, but I think that if you think superficially about teaching, you think to yourself, well, a good teacher has all the answers. <laughs> and a good teacher has most of the answers. That's true. But the longer that I've taught, the more I came to appreciate that the really good teachers and really good teaching have the right, these people have the right questions. Absolutely. And it, it's all, it really is about the questions that you ask. And so much today, so far, you've kind of talked about two different levels of questions. Because I think at first you were talking about kind of like a metacognitive question of, when was the last time that you felt comfortable in this? And so then that that's a question that requires kids to think about their own learning and where they're at with it and their confidence and their understanding. But then I also heard you talk about walking around with a clipboard and as the day got on, your questions got better. 
And I bet that those are more content driven as if like, I'm going to ask this question to help them think about this particular topic to maybe get at an area they hadn't thought of before, maybe tease out a misconception or something. Can you talk a little bit about those two different kinds of questions? Absolutely. So you're right. Um, I will say that many times my initial question to a student, especially when I say initial, I mean before they really get to know me. So Mm -hmm. more at the beginning of a school year, the question of what is the last thing you felt comfortable with is one that really opens the door to a student to say, wait a minute, I have a little control over this. Okay. I also will tell students that, and I I actually will set up assignments where I will embed an error periodically in Mm -hmm. my work, Mm -hmm. and kids will earn candy or choose your seat for finding my error. Nice. And it's not an error I do every hour. So it's my first hour. I can't tell my fifth hour. Oh, okay. by the way, Miss Kidder is, there's an error here. So it's, it's kind of random, but I make sure every hour gets an error periodically because I want them to know that it's not about um, the error. error. It's about how I think through to figure out that error analysis. And okay. so I actually will will question myself and I will go through what I think. And Mm -hmm. so when I begin a school year, I say, what's the last thing you were comfortable with? I'll also say, oh, I can see why this feels different. But do you remember in elementary school, again, because of the math, I'll say things like, do you remember in elementary school when you did the arrays? And I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah. I said, you were probably really good at those, weren't you? Let me show you how this looks just like an array. Okay. So then I go back to something, I mean, really far back. Mm -hmm. I try to pick something from like second through fourth grade that they felt very confident with and how it can be used now just in a different manner. Mm -hmm. And then as I move through, you know, as I get through my day and as I get through um, maybe my year, I realize that again, I may over scaffold and I need to back up mm-hmm. what I'm giving them. And that's where those better questions, more content driven questions come in. And mm-hmm. I'll set them up a little bit in a way by saying, oh, I had a student in third hour that said this. That's very similar to what you're thinking. Right. Do you know where that kid maybe went a little bit off of it mathematically? Mm-hmm. Knowing that they can see that error a little bit more readily, mm-hmm. and then they can use that for themselves. So, yeah, it's 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 ever changing is the problem. <laughs> I wish I could use those same questions every year. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, like I have a little book of questions. I know. Yeah, I know. So I'm curious over your career, like as you think about scaffolding students' tasks, engagement, and you've talked a little bit about this already, but um, how has your thinking changed on this, or how have you grown in this area? Oh, I started out at the beginning of my career. Um, I almost wish I could apologize <laughs> for oh. not knowing what I do- what I didn't know, thinking that I had to really show students every which way that they could do something. Okay. And I didn't have a lot of those methods, mm-hmm. but I would have two and I'd say, oh, you can do it this way or you can do it that way. Mm-hmm. And what I ended up doing was limiting what students could grapple with. Okay. I actually was limiting their ability to think through problems okay. because I was giving them a structure or a procedure that I wanted them to attach to. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes we have to have the procedure. I mean, yep. that is true. Useful ones in math. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Um, 
and many times I'll tell them, I'm okay with a process and a procedure as long as mathematically accurate mm-hmm. and it works for everything mm-hmm. that you're going to see you know, moving forward. So I think that's the biggest thing that I have changed over the years is that understanding that kids learn and think very differently and they're going to need, even the most advanced students are going to need scaffolds and that's okay. Yeah. You don't want to over scaffold. Nope. You don't want to under scaffold, <laughs> but you right, you want the right amount, the right amount of scaffolding. And then you want to make sure you keep filling in that underneath that bridge, so to speak, mm-hmm. so that they don't need that scaffold anymore. That's okay. tough. That, that's teaching. It's teaching. Carolyn Kidder, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Okay, that wraps up another episode of Thriving Educators. I want to thank Michelle Donberger, Olivia Oquist, and Carolyn Kidder for sharing their insights. Take care, everyone.